Go Mighty One, our sacrifice begins. We commence. Spellbird, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. It's time to party like it's 1974. You're no hero, the DCC RPG rulebook iconically says. You're an adventurer, a reaver, a cut purse, a heathen slayer, a tight-lipped warlock guarding long-dead secrets. While our characters may be seeking golden glory caked in the blood and filth of the weak, as players it can be extra fun and satisfying, doing it all for a good reason. Whether you're buying raffle tickets at Drinking and Dragons, pledging support to Extra Life campaigns, raising money for charities through Lawful Good Gaming, helping David Beatty raise money for kitties in need, or helping support the hard work John Marr does for us all in his annual campaign, raising money for good causes while gaming is a long-standing DCC tradition. I'm Judge Jeff, and with me tonight we have Judge Julian. Hello! Judge Jen. Salutations. And a special guest, another Judge Jay. Listeners of our sister podcast may recognize the Wizards-hating and Tina Turner-loving Judge James Walls. Hello. Judge James, welcome to Spellburn. This is like a super honor to be on this show. It should be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are super excited to have you on. Welcome. Thanks. I mean, long time no see, James. (laughs) I <laughs> yes, yeah, especially yeah. I was I was uh, actually listening just before we started this. I was listening to some Hawaiian music to take me back to Polynesian and hanging out with you and Bob and oh. ha- happier pina colada soak times. There shall be many, not a lie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's head on over to Tavern Talk. Welcome, friends. Good to see you. I only had one drink to calm my nerves. And give a drink of your most expensive. Tavern Talk. So here we are in Tavern Talk, and this is the section where we talk about what we've been up to recently in gaming and any DCC-related news we might want to share. I will go ahead and start. I don't really have a whole lot to say, except that I was in an Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's game at Weird Realms recently. Um, it was fun. I had I played it once before at GaryCon, and it was a higher-level game. So this is my first time playing a first-level Astonishing Sorcerers and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game. The care gen portion of it took about 90 minutes, which I am so not used to. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) And I know in a lot of other gaming systems, it can take a lot longer than 90 minutes to generate a character. So I know Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea is still on the easier side of that. Regardless, I am not used to spending that much time rolling up a character that is probably going to die. But it was fun. I had, a, I had a great time, and the guys who were running that game were probably going to turn that into a campaign of sorts, and I'm, I'm up for it. What is Weird Realms? Weird Realms is the most amazing game store I have probably ever been in in my life here in Cleveland. Mm. It's run by Beckett Warren, and it's got incredible like RPG zines, like an entire rack devoted to just crazy RPG zines. We're spoiled. We go to places like GaryCon, and we end up getting things like the Hobonomicon and um, Inflammable Hospital and all these kinds of things that you would never be able to find in a store. But at Weird Realms, they actually have them in the store. 
incredible selection of gaming material. And Beckett Warren, the guy who runs the place, is just a really cool guy. And they, they, they have DCC games there every Thursday night. The Beckett style is very kind of Kovaxian, very wild and unhinged. And the people who are playing in that Thursday game are just completely off their rockers. Is that the saying? Off their rockers? Yes. Yes. They are off their rockers. It's, it's a great time. I highly recommend if you're in the Cleveland area checking out Weird Realms on a Thursday night or just stopping by in general and throwing them some money. Nice. Yeah. Jen, what have you been up to? Mine's pretty short and sweet. Bob wanted to run the, what was it, the Black Heart of Thaculon the Undying. I'm going to mangle the title of that. I'll get over it. But he ran some of our local people through all three rounds of that tournament in a day. And so the following Saturday, I jumped in. And while we did a lot better than the first group, apparently we wouldn't have done well enough in round one to make it in the tournament last year. If we had, we would have beat the team that won in both uh, rounds two and three. So I have a question. Yeah. Now, the three rounds had four hours set aside for them. Were you guys gaming for 12 hours or did you get through them quicker than that? We finished slash TPK'd much sooner than that, I'll say. Okay. okay. But it was really cool because one of our local players who had come to Brinkmanomicon and I'd met him through somebody else's gaming group brought in someone that he used to work with that all they knew was they used to both enjoy gaming and then they parted ways and this guy comes into the game never having played dcc i don't know if he'd ever even played DD, but he'd played other uh, fantasy based games and he just sat down grabbed dice and embraced it he played the wizard with all of eight hit points and by the end of the second round of this tournament, yeah, we're talking close to eight hours in, dude was the only one left standing. So it was it was pretty awesome. And at the end, he really wanted to know more about the group and the you know the community, the book, etc. So he was just kind of an information overload, taking it all in. And it was really kind of awesome to have seen a new convert made via the tournament. It gave me an idea of what some of the players and judges went through during Gen Con, too. Very cool. You know, since I don't get to game at Gen Con. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wah. Wah, I know. But that was all at Dungeon Games, and, you know, Josh embraces all of us, which is awesome. One day we're going to tell you that Gen Con is not actually named after you. But we decided Bob <laughs> was going to have to break it to you. We're not going to. It's true. It's actually named after Jennifer Walls. Yeah, um, I'm I'm going anyway. Thanks. <laughs> I think I think she gets to enjoy it less than anyone else does. She's usually running around uh, like chasing down children. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I'm married to a saint. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. <laughs> so, Julian, what have you been up to? Game hole con. What's that? Game hole con. You were the, didn't you go one year? Actually, I haven't been yet. I really oh. want to go. It's on my list. I've been to North Texas once. I haven't been to Game Hole yet. I've been once. As we call it, Gary Con Autumn. <laughs> you know, it's it's okay. kind of similar to Gary Con, but it is in November each year. And we had a blast. It's in Madison, Wisconsin. 
and I could actually talk about it for a long time. Uh, I ran four games, by which I'm going to say I'm actually not going to talk about it a long time, but I ran four games. Uh, hello to Christian uh, and Stephanie Ovenick, who I think were in every one of the games I ran. How awesome. And our Ooh. Spellburn listeners. So that was fun to meet them, really nice people. And they were also in Forrest Aguirre's Killer of Giants adventure with me as a player. And let's just say I was playing a mutant with a bag of hallucinogenic mushrooms. A mutant cow with a bag of hallucinogenic (laughs) mushrooms. So you know how that was going to go. There was that, and uh, Forrest also ran a little Call of Cthulhu for us. And... Oh, the other big highlight game-wise was John Carnes's Escape from the Hall of Presidents, Ooh. in which you take on the role of... It's a funnel in which you take on the role of four presidents in the Hall of Presidents, and... I called dibs on Martin Van Buren. I was Martin <laughs> Van Buren. What? That's my president. And I think the highlight of the game was a three-way standoff with loaded pistols between... Andrew Jackson, Dwight Eisenhower, and Martin Van Buren, in fact, which went real pear-shaped. Anyway, the like the best PvP games, it doesn't at all have to be PvP. It just they're just waiting for one jerk like me. <laughs> so it was all good. And then thanks to the evil one, I also picked up my copy of <gasps> Half Men of Hirsute Hollow, which I'm reading, obviously, because there's no way that I would be able to say that. It sounds like J.R.R. Tolkien wrote a porn, right? <laughs> Half Men of Hirsute Hollow. So anyway, yeah. I need to pick up a copy of that. I, I hear there's a magic sword named after me. Oh, yes. There's a few in-jokes, because what else would he do? So anyway, we had a great time. Uh, enough said. And... There was also one last adventure where Doug Kovacs and I and others of the Minneapolis posse uh, encountered a rat in a restaurant. So it doesn't get much more DCC than that. Wait, in real life you encountered a rat in a restaurant? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Did you give it dice to play with you guys? No, it was too scary. We were all kind of backing slowly away. Oh. All right. How about you, Mr. Judge James? Well, I I actually yesterday I ran a road crew event in Westchester, Pennsylvania at a place called the Games Keep. I've been running games there. I'm kind of in a similar situation as you, uh, Jeff, in that I'm like trying to embrace my new home and find gamers here. I don't know if I can call it a road crew game for much longer. The same people show every game, <laughs> except for like one person rotates out at this point. If it's posted publicly, I think it qualifies. I tr- I'm trying. I actually had a hard time with like, uh, you know, I keep telling the owner of this store, like, like, can we advertise it a bit more, you know, put a post up and I haven't quite broken through where he's put it in his mailer because he doesn't email mailer. He doesn't have a Facebook page. So uh, it's kind of a challenge to, to spread some of the word, but we're trying I was I ran uh, Brendan's uh, LaSalle's in at five points, which is like in playtest mode and had a really good time running that. I can't talk about it because uh, if I did, I'd have to kill you all since it's kind of, you know, like super secret still. It is such a good adventure, though. But I will say that it is a good time, but my players were rolling so poorly. So in an early scene, I almost TPK them like 40 minutes into the game. There was just such terrible, terrible rolling. 
Anyway, the party was short one cleric as Evie was sick and could not join because Evie plays the cleric of Bubugba Bills named Bueno. Mm. So Bueno was was no Bueno at that game. Wasn't there. I know I've been cheating a bit on DCC. I've been crushing pretty hard on the Savage Worlds front because of the new Kickstarter that just kind of stopped, ended. So I ran a Weird Wars 2 game last week featuring a single werewolf as the monster the party was dealing with, and it was awesome. Like, we kept it kind of low-tech, and the party was in rural England, and that werewolf was, like, terrifying and had all the cool tidbits of an adventure where you're, like, you know... Like a like an actual monster movie where that one monster, like an alien, is really terrifying. I didn't know what it was at first, and when it was revealed as a werewolf, that was kind of cool. <laughs> and I'm running uh, some East Texas University for Savage Worlds this week, which is kind of like in my version is like Community meets True Blood, but it's like college students gaming. So that should be a good time. That's my, that's part of my uh, Thanks Gaming event this Sunday, and then next week is Pax Unplugged here in Philadelphia. So I'll be attending that mr lasalle will be there and i'll be running dcc mcc savage worlds numenera pretty much every game i play i'm really trying to pimp that out of that con because i want a con i want a local con to do well james how many games are you running well you know pax is kind of interesting have you been to pax unplugged no okay it's bizarre so how it works is there's no official like game events for role-playing games, there's an open role-playing area. And I know that uh, Goodman Games doesn't have a, doesn't, I don't think has an actual booth set up there. The, Brendan will just be like guerrilla gaming, trying to chase down players, as will I. Uh, in the mornings, I'm doing some volunteer time for my friends over at Monty Cook Games. So I'll have like a table set up and I'm running Numenera in the mornings, but I'm doing DCC, MCC in the evenings. So I'm just going to be chasing down people, maybe in the streets of Philly to come play. Hmm. It'll probably be too late for the, by the time this airs, I'm sure it'll be after packs. And, you know, hopefully someone who's listening to this will have played one of my games. That sounds fun. My buddy, uh, John Dahlstrom goes out there because a lot of his friends are in that area of in Philly. So say hi, if you meet big John Dahlstrom, I will do so. So, James, I'm curious. I've played Savage Worlds once, and I wasn't particularly impressed with, with the game, but maybe it just wasn't the best system. You didn't play with me, that's why. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, what <laughs> what what is the like the quick pitch on why I should check out Savage Worlds? If you like to do crazy, over-the-top things that are on the more heroic side, it's the, it's the opposite of DCC in that mindset, because it has that pulp adventure feel where characters are a bit meatier. So if you don't, if you do want to be a hero, I guess you could read the back of the DCC core book and read it in opposites. And that's more of what Savage Worlds is like. You are the hero. You, you While the game is a little bit deadly in some aspects, you're probably going to survive as long as you're not crazy. And But there's a lot of uh, fun room for, I don't know, awesome antics. I like it because... I'm a big fan of alternate history stuff, of actual history stuff. I like the Deadlands campaign setting, that weird Western feel. I like, you know, the whole, you know, evil Nazi zombie thing. You know, what better, like, you know, enemies are there? What better villains than Nazi scientists to just, you know, go and have your party just take on, you know? I don't know. that I like a lot of those feels, and Savage Worlds just does that for me when I want to have that kind of, I don't know craziness and the game does does non-combat scenes very well i like the skill system but it's light as well so you're not you know layered down with tons and tons of feats of stuff it was my first non D game 
that I I played after ditching fourth edition in 2012. I moved on to Savage Worlds. Doesn't it have a kind of a dice chain concept or something like different dice for attributes or skills or something? It does. It ha- but it goes D4, D6, D8, D10, D12, and then D12 plus one plus two plus three. Mm. So it's similar to DCC in the dice chain. Although I will occasionally say, oh, bump your dice up a step. I'm like, what? It's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking DCC speak. <laughs> it's funny because when Evie went to play it again after having played it in a while, she's like, where's the D7 go? It's like, well, you're not going to have that, kid. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, if you want to roll a D7 instead of a D8, feel free. But yeah. You could. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not? So yeah, what I like to say is that the way... Dungeon Crawl Classics is with modules, a lot of really awesome, amazing modules. Savage Worlds is kind of like how they are with settings. They have tons and tons of really cool, interesting, unique settings. I've actually run Savage Worlds stuff in DCC. No, I ran Sellers and Starless Sea with the Cypher system once. Hmm. So a lot of cross-pollination. It's all one big soup in my brain at this point. (laughs) Cool. Well, if you are running Savage Worlds at GaryCon and it ends up working out with my schedule, perhaps I'll sign up for a session. Mm. I won't be there. I, I really what? won't be there this time. Yeah, no, I definitely can't be there. Both my girls are in Annie. Both girls are in Annie. It premieres that weekend. You're screwed. Even if yeah. I could make it there, they're Annie. Pre- they're literally it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday of that week. So both girls got into the show. I know, right? <laughs> it's a long as heck drive to begin with from Philadelphia now. Pittsburgh was bad to get to Gary Con. Philly is worse. Cry me a river. Come on. Don't you fly? We're driving up. You drive up? You're crazy. We drove up last year. We'll probably do the same oh my this gosh. year. When do you start? February? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. It does make the cultural exchange a bit easier on our end. So we can actually bring stuff up without having to uh, pack it and chance it to the TSA. But anyhow. I could just see it being like, you know, you guys are headed there. It'd be like a little journal. Day three, still on the road. We haven't made it yet. <laughs> Bob has typhoid. Whatever. <laughs> Dysentery, yeah. Dysentery, yeah. Yep. On that note. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, let's go ahead and transition this over to the next segment, Summon Email. Call upon the flame to summon you. Who delivered the message for me? I came here to give you these facts. Summon Email. All right, here we are in Summon Email, and we've got a few emails in the bag here that we can get through today. Uh, Julian, how about we task you with reading our first one? Yes. This is from Judge Joan, a honored alumnus uh, from the guest role. She says, hello, S. Burners. There is so much good in this episode. I believe this is uh, after the diversity episode still, if I recall correctly. Hello, S. Burners. There is so much good in this episode as a single woman who is also in my 50s and with the educational background that I have, not the nursing degree, but the Master of Divinity degree in pastoral ministries. I have just broken multiple rules for the typical RPG player at the table, uh, being number one, 50, or excuse me, number one, female, number two, past 50, number three, religious education, uh, specifically Mennonite seminary, number four, proponent of not using the F word in conversations. <coughs> I think there are more, which I'm missing here. <laughs> I have been in a game which started out with an apology to me, 
as the DM whom I continue to play with set the adventure in a whorehouse. Yes, it was uncomfortable for me. I was the only woman at the table and I tolerated the comments. I held my reactions as I was not going to please the commenter. This episode with repeated listenings has broadened my way of helping people feel comfortable with playing at my table. It has also helped me be a better player, I hope, in my D&D group. As a judge, DM, GM, I hope that I can be mindful of the themes of modules or sandbox games. Judge Joan of Arc, I'm the monster of Spellburn as I think I am prolific right now with the comments as I am going through the older episodes of Spellburn. It's the perk of my job right now. Nice. <laughs> Why the fuck would you not want to use the F word in conversations? <laughs> I know, I was going to say, and yet she's still my friend. I, I'm I'm blessed. <laughs> Thank you, Judge Joan. Uh, great letter. And uh, yeah, I would say of those four categories, the the last one probably is the one that is the least common in the DCC community. I, I feel like there's probably more people with a religious education in the DCC community than there are p- people who are uh, adverse to using the F word. Hmm. That's yes. probably a fair assumption. <laughs> so I don't really know if it requires too much comment. Do you guys have anything you want to really say about it or? I mean, I think it just it does speak to the point a bit that I try not to have. I should be careful of my language at a table of people I don't know, especially if I'm, I'm doing a road crew event. When I go to a road crew event, I tend to turn into a, a little bit of work. James shows up and like professionalism kind of pops in a tiny bit, especially if I'm a place that no one knows who I am or it's it's a brand new uh, locale. Because I feel like I'm you know I'm kind of representing you know Goodman Games in that capacity. At the store I'm playing at right now, I'm, I'm pretty cautious with my language and kind of cautious with my player's language as well. We had a couple sessions back where I had to talk to a player about it. but Yeah, our FLGS put up a notice finally saying, you know, respect the other people in the store and just curb it. Make it family friendly. And I think it boils down to even at your home games, just be able to read your room, know your audience. That's a good point. I'm kind of of two minds about it. One is I have heard somebody say nobody has ever offended somebody by not swearing. So I get that aspect of it. On the other hand, I don't know. I personally don't want to have to censor myself in most situations like that. But I, I get it, especially if there are kids at the table. I don't know. Well, I curse in front of my kids. So, I mean, if they're my kids, you can curse. <laughs> Everyone has permission. Where's the egg timer? <laughs> oh, it's been going. Come on. Okay. So next email, uh, Jen, you want to take this one? Sure. This one comes to us from Judge Andrew. He says, I really enjoyed your house rules episode. The discussion was great fun and I came away with ideas for my own games. I would like to point out why the rolling below is an excellent rule and its detractors are having bad wrong fun. Okay, so I'm going to preface this uh, real quick, uh, Judge Andrew, by I'm not reading all of this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, there's stats here. We can all kind of eyeball it. It's a long letter, guys. I'm not reading all of this. Yeah, it's a long email. But the quote-unquote hit-the-DC method, he states, does not discern clearly enough between ability scores. Ever since I encountered it in 3.5, I felt it was wanting. It's all well and good for the judge to come up with a colorful reason why there's a failure, but overall, this math is ludicrous. Obviously, the DC system for skill checks is objectively wrong in many situations. The roll below method not only preserves the radical difference between widely divergent ability scores, but also opens up some air between ability scores that otherwise have no meaningful difference in game. 
With roll below, there's a difference between a 9 and a 12, and a 13 and a 15, etc. In a game like DCC, where ability scores are burned down to gain advantage, or change due to mishap more frequently than in many other RPGs, it is good to have a consequence to ability score loss. That wizard who spellburned his strength down from a 12 to a 10 loses something in this case. The risk of failure at meaningful checks increases. Under the DC system, there's no consequence at all. Editorial note, he's actually right on this because it's still a plus zero. He says, I find that hard to ignore. There should always be a consequence to sacrificial acts. And then he continues, the dice chain is easily adaptable to the roll below method. If you want a harder obstacle, move up the dice chain. If you want an easier obstacle, move down the dice chain. I'll note that moving down the chain to a d16, for instance, could, depending on one's interpretation, guarantee success to characters with a high enough ability score. And there's nothing wrong with that. Conan wouldn't fail to lift a boulder that a sickly child could lift under any circumstances, whereas with the DC system, he could. RPGs don't need to be realistic. It's impossible, but where house rule supports common sense, we should use it. Signed, your evil nemesis, the late Volrath of Babugbabils, a.k.a. Judge Andrew. <laughs> <sighs> That's all yours, guys. <laughs> so the only thing you left out, and it is quite lengthy, so I don't blame you, but he makes a really, just math-wise, he makes a really good point. The difference between a 3 strength and an 18 strength, you know, assuming a DC of 10, right, kind of right in the middle, is 40% versus 70%. So the sickliest, frailest waif is his example versus Conan's. Conan at his prime... Ooh is a 30% swing, 40% versus 70%. Okay, so I, I could see that. If you have a skill of three and you're trying to roll under it, it should be more difficult. A nat 20 shouldn't be yeah. an automatic success. If you're trying to say that the stats between a three and an 18 are the extent of what a human or a demi-human would have in stats, but I like to think of those as the stats in which a, a character is capable of doing anything you know out there that your idea of a three intelligence human uh, or any class if you if you say the person's a complete moron and you have that role i think that does somewhat detract against the idea of 3d6 in order i will say that there is a major difference in a, between a 12 strength and a 9 strength and that's there's so much in dcc and mcc that has stat drain and stat damage that if you look at those pools as static pieces of your character sheet, you haven't been playing with a GM who has poison or demons or certain spells that affect you in those ways. Ooh, nice. So I would much rather have a 12 strength than a 9 strength, as would every character who was poisoned this past weekend and almost died in that redacted <laughs> adventure by redacted. <laughs> Nicely put. Perfect. Just under the one minute mark. So are we ready for my minute? Sure. <laughs> Please. All right. So I'm um, I'm not against roll under. I just and I, I know that Julian's going to call me a Hobbs Goblin for saying this, <laughs> but my thing is I want the rules to be consistent. So if we want to be doing roll under, and the reason for wanting to roll under is because a a, a, a sickly child of the strength of three should have a much harder time punching someone than Conan with a strength of eighteen. Then why aren't we rolling under strength for attack rolls? That's, that's what I'm saying. I don't like that we are rolling versus a DC for spell results, for attacks, but then we're rolling under a stat for ability checks. And that also means that we're using a less swingy system 
to adjudicate attacks and spells and a much swingier system for adjudicating skill checks. And I don't like that inconsistency. I want it to be A or B. I don't want a mixture of the two. So a system where you only roll under is fantastic. I love that idea. It has, and my timer's going off. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so that is my opinion on that. Yins are so professional about this. Like, I mean, you had this timer and stuff. I'm so used to like the crazy psychoness of Glober and where we just talk forever and just destroy Hector's weekend with having to edit. <laughs> We've tried to curb it back. And see, this is why we have to keep our episodes down to an hour because, well, you take up the rest of Hector's time. <laughs> <laughs> he has no time for us. Parting shot, Forrest rolls under. Mm. Fair. Yeah, but he's wrong on so many things. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he didn't like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. He watched Wizards. There's just a whole list. There's a whole laundry list. She was trashing Iron Eagle today on Twitter. Oof. I mean, who trashes Iron Eagle? It's like the best Oof. Lou Gossett Jr. movie out there. I mean, James, I will say uh, you and I are roughly the same age. I also don't care for Wizards. I also really enjoy Beyond Thunderdome. But I will say... Liking Dave Matthews Band is unforgivable. Oh. So moving forward. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. So we've got one more email in the bag, and it's another long one. And this one is by Judge Jones and Steve Bean. Ooh, another alumnus. Woo-hoo. Yes. Dear Flogiston Flamers, Judge Jones and Steve Bean here sending my first email to the Any Award winning OSR podcast with the two hosts with the greatest height differential <laughs> and the best female vocal timber, Spellburn. <laughs> Full disclosure, this is a long missive, but there is a question at the end. I recently caught up with on a backlog of listening, enjoying, learning something new and being inspired to think deeply about something from every episode. I want to give a shout out to Troy Tucker for his terrific house rules for spellburning and to Joan Troyer, who should get some kind of fastest leveling up as a new DCC judge award. The platinum pitchfork, perhaps? (laughs) But the episode that moved me to write was episode 69 with Judge Daniel J. Bishop. While I don't believe that I've had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Bishop in the flesh, you should, he's amazing. I have great respect for his work and great appreciation for his huge contributions to the DCC community. I thought the episode packed a a dragon's horde worth of help to anyone who wants to run a sandbox. But the other thing that greatly interested me about the episode is the topic of sandboxes is invariably intertwined with the topic of railroads. And that term came up several times in the episode. Railroad is one of those words that the DCC community spells with four letters. But as a (laughs) devoted narrativist, I think the line between railroad and the judge getting to play the game by driving a significant part of the direction of the story is not easily demarcated. For example, in the episode, Judge Daniel J. talks about a PC decision to move to another country to escape a mad king is a valid response. I don't disagree with him. But I want to point out that though there is just as valid a decision for the judge then to have the Mad King invade and conquer that nation, presenting the players with a renewed choice about whether to deal with him. In another example, Judge Julian talks about putting an encounter that the players avoided in front of them to another part of the sandbox. This actually invokes the now famous Quantum Ogre discussion in RPG (laughs) theory about where that line between choice and railroading lies. Not wanting to make a long email longer, I will simply state that I believe this is a matter of proverbial social contract between judge and players and of building playgroups that have some degree of, of style simpatico. So my question is this, where does the line between player choice and railroading for each of the judges, Jay? 
Keep working your magic. You've charmed person the DCC community as well as an ever-growing mass of players who are about to discover how much fun they can have with DCC. Narratively, Judge Jonesen, Steve Bean. And I'm going to throw this one to start at uh, to James. Oh, crap. <laughs> okay. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. All right. Do you remember in high school or grade school when you'd make those S's where you'd have the three lines and the three lines next to them and you'd connect them and it would draw weird like you know, those S's? Never mind. Okay. I do. You remember that? Okay. There you yes, go. Yes. And it made this cool like, like I don't know, like a graffiti S. Remember? I do. All right, well, here, Are you stalling? Here's, here's the difference is <laughs> if your adventure beginning to end looks like one of those S's where it starts at one point and it branches off in all kinds of directions, but it has a logical ending at one point where you think the PCs are going to go. I would say that there's a, there's dashes of railroading in there at some point. And I don't think railroading is bad. I, I don't like that term. Linear is fine, I think. But if your adventure looks like, I don't know, a pitchfork or the opposite of like a family tree where there's lots of possible outcomes, then I'd say that it's not. It's more the... You know, that whole phantom ogre idea, the phantasmal ogre. What was it called? Was it called? The, the, quantum the quantum ogre. The quantum ogre. Nothing wrong with occasional quantum ogres, I guess. But if if that ogre showed up no matter what, then I guess you, you then you kind of transcended from the whole hex crawl to being more linear. Sounds good, Julian. So, you know, I think the big uh, difference to me is the two examples given of uh, dodging the Mad King by moving out of his country to another country versus, you know, behind the screen recycling an encounter or, you know, whatever that they didn't do to a new location because they are going to go there. You know, those are really different in my mind because players are making a choice. And if you just have the Mad King f keep following the players to torment them, then you're negating the player choice. Whereas if you're moving stuff around because um, you only have eight encounters prepared, but they don't know any difference and they haven't made any choices regards it because it's all locked doors that they haven't gone through yet, it really doesn't make any difference and you're not negating player choice. So, you know, I, I think uh, the point of playing a role-playing game instead of watching a movie or etc. is that the players have a stake and a choice in it and you respect that. Perfect, Jen. I will elaborate on what Julian was just saying. I have a, a little pocket full of potential encounters. Just because you haven't opened that door doesn't mean you're never going to run into that encounter. Mm -hmm. I have it prepped. I'm going to go ahead and throw it at you at some point. It may not have anything to do with the plot. It may just be something to help you guys get XP. It may be something to hopefully get you to spellburn, maybe test your limits a little bit, give you a bit of a challenge, and overall, you're supposed to enjoy your time at the table. And sitting there talking about what direction you're going to go in is not always enjoyable, especially if it lasts for an hour and a half. Ask me how I know. <laughs> Perfect. And I'll say, you know, with the quantum ogre thing, I think the way that Jen just described it as just an encounter you have in your back pocket, I personally think that's completely acceptable. I think that if your quantum ogre is an ending that you're desperately trying to make sure that the characters get to, then personally, I don't like that kind of style of gaming. I've been at tables where I feel like the DM, GM judge definitely has an idea of where he or she wants us to go. 
and gets frustrated when we don't go in that direction and tells us we can't do things because that wasn't prepped for, things like that. That's not a style of judging that I personally enjoy. I don't have fun in that environment. I want to feel like I can really, my character can do whatever I want. And I want to feel like that there's real consequences to what I'm doing, that no matter what I do, I'm not just going to end up in the exact same place in the end. That to me is a far more compelling way of role playing. And it, it's hard to grow out of that mindset, too. I, I mean, it is. Granted, this is, you know, the first time I'd ever tried anything of the sort, but it took a lot of time and personal growth, really, to realize my story isn't the one that matters here. It's yours. That's a great point. I feel like a lot of newbie judges and newbie DMs, GMs think that the role of the dungeon master is to tell a story, and it's not. The role of the players is to tell a story, and the role of the judge is to kind of facilitate the rules and adjudicate and give them interesting things to encounter during their story. But we're not we're not the ones who are here to tell the story. Those, that, that's up to the players. I, mean, I go back and forth on this so much because I have there's times when I feel like I'm definitely there as the storyteller, and times when I feel that that I'm there just to watch what unfolds unfold. So mm -hmm. I even change my style occasionally and how it, it suits me for that game or even that group. Some groups do want to be told the story and some groups don't. And that's the challenge of being a decent judge is to identify how much the party wants to be led, which could be age and experience or just because of what they came to the table for or, or how much they wanted to have control. Definitely. It goes back to Improv 102. Read the room. Well, Jonesen, this is a great email. You gave us a lot to chew on. Thank you so much. And now we're going to move on over to Mighty Deeds and start discussing our episode's topic. Why behold our hero? Mighty Deeds. So here we are. We're discussing role-playing for charity, gaming for a good cause, etc. cetera. Uh, but before we do, like, James, let's get a little bit of background on you. I'm sure a lot of our listeners listen to Glowburn and are familiar with you, but those who aren't, how did you get into gaming? How did you get into DCC? How did you get into this big mess? <laughs> oh, crap. All right. Well, I definitely a shout-out to all my triple X strong listeners out there, uh, especially those that know me as the Team Van Hagar member of the Globern podcast with my pals Judge Forrest and Judge Mark. Wait, I missed that. Are you – you're not a Sammy Hagar Van Halen fan, are it's you? It's the one thing that unifies all three Globern judges is that we're all Van Hagar fans. <sighs> Let it go, Jeff. I think I just threw up a little in my mouth. Guys. Forrest? Forrest is Van Hagar? If we're like the same age, then when you were of age, you know, it was OU812 was the album, you know? So. 5150. I don't know what to say. Wait, <laughs> I can't drive 55. That's that's same. That's Hagar, right? I can't drive 55? I don't like it that much to know that difference. All I know is that one album. Okay. <laughs> I have no problem singing some of the songs on here, but. But that over Panama? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Anyways, please go on. <laughs> so I'm not just like throwing out things that got to torment people and cause you know fake rifts. No, so I, I, I've been gaming for I could go on forever. Like like so many folks who discovered it young, started when I was like 13 years old, haven't stopped since. I've been gaming very regularly for the entirety of that time. Never took a break. Eventually converted my entire family into gamers. So my wife plays, my daughters play. My middle daughter, Evie, uh, if you ever see Judge Evie out there, that name thrown around, that's my middle daughter. Uh, she is my, like, insane, crazy Prodigy. Yeah, prodigy. <laughs> 
just look up DCC RPG trailer on YouTube. I think it's the only DCC trailer that exists. She made it, and it's nuts. Uh, and my son Cooper, who's eight, uh, plays as well. So not a lot, but he does play. And I discovered DCC by accident. I was listening to a podcast called Roleplay DNA, which actually spun out of an old Savage Worlds podcast I was listening to called Smiling Jack's Bar and Grill. And they were going to play a one-shot for DCC. And they went over to discuss what the game was. And I thought, well, this would be a fun way to just have, you know, see what an adventuring party of, of nobodies could do an adventure. I thought that's all it was. And then the core book showed up. And I'm like, this is a lot of rules for a bunch of nothing characters. And why are there spells in here? And and about a week on and off, I read the book cover to cover. Uh, it was a, And then went to Gen Con 2014, bought my weird dice there, and kind of started playing it slow at first and occasionally. And then over time, it became the game that I play the most and probably the game that I evangelize the most out there. And... After all of this, maybe even before DCC, how did Lawful Good Gaming come around? That was definitely after DCC. And so just to, to back up a bit here, I've done I've been very interested in gaming in the community and using gaming out in the community for for many reasons. I feel like gaming itself is such a positive influence on in so many people. I know it was for me. My like life philosophy is what I would call coin pusher karma. I've looked it up. No one else uses that phrase, so I, I grabbed it. But you know the coin pusher game at arcades where you drop a quarter in and it has no effect? You drop another one, no effect. Eventually, a coin drops at the end. So I believe that's how karma works. It's not – there's a science to karma. You know, the you pick up a nail in the street. Someone doesn't run it over with their car. That person doesn't have a bad day today. They don't fire their employee. I think gaming does the same thing. <laughs> it leaves people positive. I love that. They're pumped. They're energetic. They love what they, they're having. A, they give a great time gaming on a weekend. They go into Monday better. Their employees benefit from it, all that stuff. So I had started a gaming group before Lawful Good Gaming called the Norwin Game Nights in Pittsburgh. And we had tried a couple occasions of running games for charity there where we would have collections for a food bank once. We did collections every other month for like a, for, like a, for local pet shelters, for Toys for Tots. We really enjoyed doing events. My wife and I ran the club. We had a few other folks that helped us. About 50 members that would show up pretty regularly, uh, rotating in and out, and then about 200 members on Facebook of the group. And we just had a really good time doing that. What Lawful Good Gaming was for us was another uh, kind of leading back to my coin pusher uh, philosophy. I'm also a believer in action and that whenever someone's frustrated or angry or sad, it's better to try and take action to feel better than just to be upset about it, you know, the, to do something. Not that some people can't do, I mean, there are people that really do have a challenge, uh, whether it's kind of anxiety or depression where they, they literally can't do something. But if you can do something, it's better to act. And not to get political, but there was some stuff that was going on I wasn't happy about on the politics side in early 2017. And the way I got around feeling better about that was I started a, a call out for, for gamers who wanted to do donations for uh, to, to play games in support of organizations that we were all together felt strongly about. You know, it was mostly progressive charities and uh, and orgs that would uh, were nonprofits. So we 
that's how it started. And, and it, it, we had a good thing for about a year and a half. And just recently with job stuff and a few members of our group that were in our leadership committee kind of having to bail, it's kind of petered out a bit. But the great thing is there's so much gaming. Um, Jeff, at the beginning, you'd mentioned David Beatty's, what he did recently with Feline Lifeline. And there so many gaming companies are on board with, with doing stuff for charity. So it's a great time to be gaming and be philanthropic. Yeah, I agree. And you you had mentioned that this all started out by having in-person games and you're kind of passing around like a like a donation bucket essentially. And my impression is that Lawful Good Gaming was primarily online gaming. So I'm curious, um, what has been your experience with doing it in person versus online? Do you really have a preference and if so why? Well, I mean, I can say this, online gaming definitely is more how do I say this? We've had more success. You can reach a lot more people with online gaming. I mean, we, I think we never collected more than maybe three or four hundred dollars. Even three or four hundred bucks is fantastic. True. Well, Lawful Good Gaming in its eighteen-month run, we raised over ten thousand dollars for various groups. Wow. Uh, and the majority of it, we, we were having a hard time deciding what was going to be our main method of getting funds. What we came up with is a system of gaming for proof of donations the gm you don't give the gm any money at all you make a donation and screenshot your gm the proof that you made your donation it took the whole and you could do it with anything you don't have to do it for what we believe in or we thought of but if you have whether it's for pet shelter or it's for ocean conservancy or it's for just a local small community charity it's very easy to, to help point people in directions of certain charities or organizations and then just ask them to send you proof of donation. And if you want to keep a tally, if a tally is important to you, for some people it might not be. It just, you know, just run the game and make the ask of people, please donate here. And if you do, you have a spot. But that was our method. You know, it was no donation too small, somewhere as low as $5. Sometimes we would have donations that were what we would match based on how many characters I'd kill. I ran a game of <laughs> Prince Charming Reanimator for DCC where every zero level I killed, I had to throw in like $3 and I had a bunch of people match me. So we had a lot of matching happening. Oh, nice. When I'm doing the, these events like this, whether I'm doing it in person for Norman Game Nights or I, I'm doing it for Lawful Good Gaming or any group that I would do a collection for, just personally, which I've done some things for personally, is really respecting that someone has donated money and their time to be there to make sure they're having the best time possible. I try to make sure it's more polished, even more so than a con, especially when someone's donating a big dollar amount. I've been intimidated a couple of times about, jo about dollar amounts, someone donating $200 to be at an event. Oh my goodness. At that event, mm -hmm. my stress level was high. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Especially on the front end, mm -hmm where I'm dealing with IT issues and can that person mm. be connected? I will say the downfall of Google Hangouts in a way, like how it doesn't work as well as it used to and what it, you know, the, the Dice app that used to live in there. A lot of things in the last few years with G+, and unfortunately now with its demise coming up, some of these do point back to some of the reasons that's been a challenge lately to run coordinated events. But I try to make sure I show up as myself when I'm GMing. I think some people expect a certain style. My games tend to be a little bit over the top and a little bit gonzo with weird pop culture references. I want to make sure I'm delivering what I'm promising. But in the same respect, I, I want to make mm. sure that the person is having a good time. Well, and I'll say as somebody who's donated in order to play one of the games under the Lawful Good Gaming banner, I played in one of the DCC playtests that Val Emerson was running. And 
it was a playtest. It wasn't super duper polished and tight because it's a playtest. And I didn't feel like I was paying for the privilege of getting to play in the game. But it was something kind of impromptu. Hey, there's this game. Oh, hey, I can jump into this. Oh, what? There, There's a cover charge, basically, is, is how I viewed it. And there's no minimum donation recommended. Likewise, by the token of your $200 guy, there's no maximum. Although, man, maybe there should be. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say... For me, it was easier than making the hour-long commute to my friendly local gaming store, and it cost about the same, and I got to hang out with some really cool people. Anymore, it's so easy to make donations to organizations. I mean, you have... Right. You have... Just just through Facebook, you can have a donate window pop up, you know, if you make... Depending on how, what, how the algorithm reads your post. So... It's really there. There are so many options to be charitable nowadays, and it's so easy to do so. And I, I guess I, I always felt more pressure for it. I, I'm glad that Val was able to run it. It was smooth, but I always get so nervous before the events. I couldn't eat dinner beforehand. I, I have a little bit of a, oh. a, a gaming stage fright to begin with. Whether people who play with me know it or not, I get a little anxious for every single game. So I get a little more so anxious when I was doing something and people had. You know, made a nice donation. I want to make sure they have a good time and come back. That's great. That is high pressure. <laughs> so we are starting to kind of get later into the episode. It's probably time to start wrapping up. But before we do, I have something I wanted to chat about real quick. And then Jen had something she wanted to mention. So the thing that I want to mention is I am flirting with the idea of starting something similar to Drinking and Dragons in the Cleveland area, where it's like quarterly kind of mini con. And there would be a charitable giving portion of the event. So I don't know, James, do you have any advice for somebody like me who's looking to possibly get something like this off the ground? Any advice on how to attract people, get interest in it, where I might want to start in terms of looking at charitable partners, etc.? Well, first off, I'll say that let me know when you're thinking of doing it because it's only about a five-hour drive for me, and I'd make that drive to come hang with you and, and to help you out with that. So, you know, hit me up first, okay? Heck yeah. Awesome. We'll do. The, the one thing I would say is if you're going to do a charity, especially one that's not lo- it's not local, I would say that, that there are options out there if you want to make sure that the charities you're supporting are putting the money where it's supposed to be. So there is like, I think it's like Charity Navigator. There's a whole bunch of, you can just kind of do a search for it. You can easily find out where charities are putting the donations. And we've always tried as a group, or even when I was with the club, to make sure we knew where the money was going and how it was being used. So something to think about depending on who you're looking at, especially if it's a national group. How are those funds being spent and how much of it's actually going to help or how much of it's going into overhead. So Perfect. Thank you. Ooh, technical stuff. Sorry, not as fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man, this sounds like work. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 That that's a great suggestion. So, Jen, what did you want to share? Well, something that James and I had been chatting about over the summer, possibly on, on Disney property, possibly not. I would very much like to proceed with this thing that... A couple of guests ago, some guy named Harley, uh, and then, like, Brendan compounded on it and said, yeah, there's going to be a DCC college. Like, 
DCC 101 stuff, and we're going to start holding these hangouts and, and these informal games, and we're going to get people in here and, and help people judge DCC. And after getting hoodwinked into being on that panel with them at Gen Con, I realized how very important this is. And so I would actually like to take it in in the vein of one of our recent episodes with the DCC Lankmar setting and do a, a Lankmar 101. And I would love to do it under the Lawful Good Gaming banner. Ooh. So I will be posting about that and working with James on the scheduling and everything. And I'm going to try to do like once a week or once every other week for some online stuff and get some different groups each time and do not really tutorials, but run them through a few things and and get them to the point where they're comfortable playing in it or running it themselves. That'd be awesome. That's a really great idea. And also, James, it's, this is making me think about if people are listening to this episode and thinking, yeah, I think I might want to run something uh, to raise some money. Would you recommend them contacting Lawful Good Gaming? Is there, or I don't know, maybe you, maybe you don't have the bandwidth for that since a lot of your leadership team has left. If not, do you have a recommendation for where they might want to go and look to do something like this? Ooh, good question. Well, a couple things here. While I'd love to say Lawful Good Gaming was some awesome, innovative group that was the first to do anything charitable. There were so many groups out there doing charity gaming for charity. So Lawful Good Gaming is definitely aligned in a bit of a, a progressive spin. So if it's not your cup of tea or you don't like getting hearing anything political or you want to kind of keep everything just I don't know, nice and neat, if you will, as I've been, I've been told, there are other groups out there that do gaming for kids. There's, was it Roll for Change? There's all kinds of different groups out there to look at. Just look up the charity RPGs. You will find a ton of groups and just pick which one. Uh, they might have a con. They might have, you know, uh, uh, events in the communities. Or alternatively, if the idea, if you just have that one, kind of like Mr. Beatty with Feline Lifeline, you have that one small charity you want to support. Think about just running a, a thing on your own, running your own game, and, and just taking the proof of donations yourself. There's nothing stopping you from this weekend running a game for a charity you believe in. There's nothing, there really is nothing holding you back. If anything, there's one thing with Lawful Good Gaming that as we progressed as a group, we kind of realized that so much of this is in, in the hands of the GMs and the judges that if they have something they believe in, they can do it right now and be generating needed funds for their organizations with very little help. Well, awesome. Thanks, James. You have had a lot of really helpful suggestions. This has been a, a really fun episode for me. It's been great having you on. So thank you for taking the time to join us. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure being on with you guys and been listening for so long. It's weird to be here in sort of in person <laughs> in cyberspace talking to you all. Exactly. Now, if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at band at spellburn.com. If you get a chance, please leave us an iTunes review and a rating. And we, once again, we want to thank Hector Cruz for doing an incredible job editing this show. Woo! When he has time between epic length Globern episodes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Hector. All right. Well, that's it. So have a good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. And game on. Van Hagar sucks. Oh. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
You've been listening to Spellburn. Copyright 2017. Theme song has been graciously provided by Glitter Wizard. Learn more at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. This has been a Hectophonic Production.